This is the second tape of the series, Thriving in the World. This is part two of the message, Different Ways Christians Deal with the World. From the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter has chosen the 24th Psalm, verses 1 through 6. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek thy face, even Jacob. And now let's join Dr. Hunter as he continues in a series on thriving in the world with this message, Different Ways Christians Deal with the World, Part 2. Last week we began a new series about how Christians deal with the culture, the different ways that different Christians deal with the culture. And last week we talked about two extremes, the either-or characters, the Christ against culture and the Christ of culture. We thought it would refresh your memories if we did a little bit of a reminder of those two kinds of Christians. Excuse me, would you mind if I uh, spoke with you for a moment? No, not you, you seem to be the only person here who's not intoxicated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Talk away. Oh, I, I'm here to, to, to see Mr. Smith, but it seems like uh, uh, a party has broken out in his office. Yeah, it's his birthday. It's a surprise party. He probably won't be able to help you today. Maybe, maybe I can help you. Well, it's actually personal, um, well, spiritual in nature. Oh. But if I could, I'd like to leave these books for him. Certainly. Mere Christianity. I read that. I mean, I I started to read that. Does anybody finish that book? I don't know. Yeah, I, I have covered the cover. Oh. There's also an Amway brochure in there in case you're interested. My wife's number on there. Thanks. That's what, so, are you a, a, a believer? Actually, I am, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> I knew I gravitated towards you for some reason. <laughs> I feel a bit safer now. Yeah, it's awkward at a party when you don't know anybody. No, yeah, until you find another Christian. <laughs> Quite the, the bash that's going on. Yes, it is. <laughs> Did you want to see Mr. Smith about something? Yes, I was going to, to give him those books, but... Busy, like, like you said. Yeah, yeah, it's a great party, isn't it? Excuse me? I mean, isn't it great that this party is going on? I mean, look at all these people. Usually they're so competitive in, in their jobs. And, and now here they are out in camaraderie, you know, working on their relationships. That's what it's all about. That, that's what it's all about? Yeah. No, 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 sister. That, that, that is not what it's all about. Those people are, are drinking and, and, and partying. And, and in fact, so are you. Well, I'm socializing with my, my peers. Is there a problem with that? Yes, there's a problem with that. You, you're a Christian. You, you should be setting an example for these people. 
you 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 should be setting an example for them and and, and not not leading them into to sin. Well, you probably shouldn't even be here. Well, if I wasn't here, how could I set an example? By not being here. We are called to be not of this world. I'm called to spread the good news. Yes, yes, to spread the good news, to spread the good news. But after that. You need to repent from sin. You need to teach the people to walk away from sin. Yeah, walk away from sin, not life. Jesus shows us a better way to live apart from sin, but live, fully experience life, enjoy it, participate in it, enjoy abundant life. Yes, yes, abundant life. But we have to get away from the death of sin. We need to turn away, to repent, to walk away from sin. The kingdom of God is among you. He calls us, his kingdom is not of this world. He wants us to reform society. He wants us to reject society. Reform. Reject. Reform. Reject. Matthew 10, 22. As I have been hated, so shall the world hate you. Well, he was right about you. <laughs> With that type of theology, you would never be accepted at my church. What, what kind, kind of, of church, church do you go, go to, to anyway? anyway? Northland Community. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I'll see you on Sunday, sister. I go on Saturdays. Now with that reminder, let's go from the either-or types of Christian. You're either out of the world or you're very much into the world to the both-ands uh, types of Christians, the typology where both the world and the kingdom are connected. Now remember, we are uh, going through a typology written by H. Richard Niebuhr, but we uh, cannot do justice to that book, and we're taking our own spin on that just as a starting point for our own foundation. Let me give you three more ways that Christians deal with the world today. First of all, uh, or third of all, there is Christ above culture. These folks would read uh, scriptures like this as their basis. Hebrews chapter 8, <clears throat> verses 5 and 6. It says, Who serve a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. Just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle, for see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. But now he, that is Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he, Jesus, is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. So you see, I want you to get the, the, the typology here, uh, the typography rather. It's, 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 Hierarchical. The mountain. See that you erect it on a pattern that was given to you on the mountain. 
the shadow of things to come are the things in the world that um, are still in the shade. They are the lower things. Let me give you one more scripture that uh, these folks would uh, cherish. Matthew chapter 5. These are the words of Jesus. Chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. I'll read them to you. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. Did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law, until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments, and so teaches others, shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, now this is the... This is the uh, the critical verse here. I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of God. You see how you have the height there. It has to exceed it. It has to go above the righteousness of the heights, or the heights of the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees of that day were the best behaving people around. They were the most sincere. They were not awful people. They were people who tried their level best to do what God wanted them to do. And here Jesus is saying, you've got to do better than that. Now, here is a thumbnail explanation of this position. This position basically says that the world is necessary as an introduction to higher things. That God made the world to be um, and a, a, uh, a prologue to heavenly things. And if we get very good at the world, then we will be pointed toward getting better and better and discovering the higher things. It would be a hierarchy go something like this. You get good at the practical things so that you can get good at the philosophical things, wondering why the world is like it is, so that, and you can never reach this last step by yourself, this is only reached with the supernatural help of God, so that you can consider the heavenly patterns about how God and why God has put the world together as he has. Now, if you want some examples of this, the best examples would be uh, Thomas Aquinas, St. Thomas Aquinas, who built a wonderful theology that basically said that humans are put here to discover the unity of God in the world, the unity that brings us toward greater and greater maturity and thinking. The, the escalation of personal understanding that comes both with reason and then with revelation. Now, that's a pretty good theology, isn't it? Because it makes us know how much we need God if we are going to progress. It also takes into consideration very seriously the process of maturation. That we grow during this lifetime. We learn more and more during this lifetime. And it's supposed to be like that. And it's frustrating when we're not growing. Remember, the writer of Hebrews also said, you know, you guys are still drinking milk. You ought to be teaching people now. You're, you're still fooling with the, with the elementary principles. You ought to be teaching the deeper things. You ought not to be drinking milk. You ought to be eating meat by now. So there's, a, there's this drive to be better. Now, that's good. 
But the weakness of this position, and the weakness always comes out because of our sin. We're basically lazy people. We have a tendency not to focus on God as the one who grows us. We begin to focus on lesser things like people. And we begin to say, well, I just, just as a, as a, as a intermediary uh, uh, experience, I want to focus on who I consider to be a holy person. And maybe I can be like them someday. And so what you see develops is a movement in the church that falls far short of this particular typology because it doesn't go to Christ, it goes to man. What happened in the Roman Catholic Church was that you had a whole hierarchy institutionalized of holiness. The lay people were down here. And then there were the deacons, and then there were the priests, and then there were the saints, and then there was Mary, and then there was God. You see the ladder? And these people are far away from God, and they can't get straight to Him, but they've got to go through someone who's a little bit above them. Now, before we get too accusatory about the Roman Catholic Church, let me tell you, the Protestant Church does the same thing. We, we uh, have all kinds of churches that are very pastor-dependent. Pastor, you tell me how to understand the Bible. I can't understand it. You interpret it for me. I can't do it. You pray for me. I can't pray for myself. Pastor, if I would come to you and I get counseling from you, then I'd get well. But I can't hear directly from God. You see, we have Christianity by vicarious experience. We become like the Israelites who said, Moses, you go up the mountain and listen to God. We're scared. And so we trust Moses to be the Holy One. This takes place in a charismatic church. You have anointed pastors and non-anointed pastors. And if you can get close enough to an anointed pastor, then maybe you can just kind of get some of that anointedness on you. But it's by being close to the pastor or listening to the pastor that you get anointed. We, get, we, we have, we have uh, uh, developmental systems. Gothard is, is, is good for some things. But Gothard has taken this authority thing and hierarchy thing to the extent that you are literally looking not to God anymore but to the next person above you. And that's where your vision stops, you see. Well, there is an immaturity and a maturity. But each one is called to depend upon God. Because if we're depending on people, we never reach that maturity level. Let me give you a, an analogy here. I don't know how many of you are from a, from a farm background, but if you know anything about hybrid corn, hybrid corn is, is something that, uh, it's a mixture of seeds and they make hybrids because hybrids will be so much um, more um, uh, protected against uh, disease. They are much stronger. They, they can weather uh, disease and, and the weather much better than just natural um, corn. The problem with hybrid corn, though, is whereas it itself is strong enough to cope, it can't reproduce. If you plant hybrid corn as seed corn, you will come out about 30 bushels less per acre. So what 
If you're going to plant hybrid corn, what you have to do every year is go back to the supplier and get more seed that will produce the hybrid corn. Same thing happens if you cross a, a horse and a donkey. You get a very strong mule, but can't reproduce. Same thing happens if you get if you cross a mature Christian and an immature Christian. What you have, the product is you get a, a stronger for the time being, in some limited fashion, Christian, but they never become mature and reproduce themselves. They always have to go back to the stronger Christian. They are very dependent on the stronger Christian. So you see, this hierarchy thing can be very easily perverted in just a, I'm holier than you are, and you're holier than this person, and this one. And if you go to a person who is drifting in the world, and you say to them, why can't you be like so-and-so? I used to have people say this. I had a perfect sister. I mean, she literally was perfect. And she was three years in advance of me in school. And so by the time old Boogerhead Hunter got there, everybody came to me. I mean, teachers literally came to me and said, almost every week, why can't you be like your sister, Michelle? Now, when you're a Boogerhead, what do you say? Because I'm not my sister, Michelle. And I'll never be like her. So there. And you become confirmed in your Boogerheadedness. That's a very theological term. Boogerheadedness. Well, the same thing happens when you go to somebody who's drifting in the ways of the world and you say, why can't you be like so-and-so? What are they going to say to you? Because I'm not so-and-so. That's very different than, you know what? Christ loves you. And God has a wonderful way to come to you. That's very different. So, in its perverted sense, this is not a very strong system. Although its its uh, motivation to to look to better things is very very good, we don't want to throw that out. Okay, second uh, or fourth. I'm sorry, I'm getting all mixed up in my border here. Fourth typology is this: Christ and culture in paradox. Now, these are the scriptures that would be... And I want you to listen. Here's what I want you to get out of this one. I want you to get the emotional tone out of this one. Because this is not just a cognitive experience. These are people who literally have a foot in both worlds. And the worlds don't mix. And they go back and forth. And they feel the conflict. And they feel the separation. But they can't leave one or the other. Listen to this. Philippians chapter 1. Verses 21 through 24. This is Paul talking. And at this point, Paul has suffered enough. He just wants to be with the Lord. And he says, For to me, to live is Christ. In other words, the only reason I can live, the only way I can live is Christ. To die is gain. If I could die, that would be great. That would be a step up. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. In other words, I know there's a reason God left me down here. There's got to be something else He wants from me. Otherwise, He'd take me up. So there's got to be some fruitful labor in this whole thing. But watch what He does. I do not know which to choose. I don't want to stay down here. Now listen to what He says. I am hard-pressed from both directions having the desire to depart and be with Christ, 
for that is very much better. Yet, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So, this is a person who feels the, now this big word here, existential anxiety. He feels the living pain of what it is to live in two worlds. To know the things of Christ, which are very much better, but also to face the ruined, devastated world of sin, which causes him great pain, but he knows he's not to withdraw from. He knows he's still there for a reason. Now let me tell you the very strong thing about this position. The very strong thing is that it admits and recognizes that living in this world is a struggle. It's a constant struggle. And it also admits nothing ever comes quite right. It doesn't expect, because of its, because of its honest look at sin, for ever, anything ever to be perfect. It says no matter what we do in this world, we'll always come up short, because that's the nature of the world. But I must live on in spite of it. I am called to radical service in spite of it. Even in the pain, even in the loneliness, I must go on. Now, that's a very helpful word because so many pe people, so many Christians think after they become a Christian, everything's going to go right because everything's supposed to go right. Now, we still live in a very broken world where things go terribly, terribly wrong. Now, here is the problem with this position. The problem is that it can be very fatiguing, very frustrating to live in a world that you see as only sinful and only broken. These people would look at the structures of society, the government, the family, the church, and they would say that the sole purpose of those structures, those institutions, are to hold back the floodwaters of sin. And so that's why they're valuable. These people go out every day. Don't especially want to, but they do. They go out every day and they get fatigued. They come back tired. The world drains them because to live in pain is a very draining thing. Let me, let me give you an example of this. If I got time, I'll, I'll take time. Um, anybody ever heard of Schlieren optics? It's 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 a it's a kind of photograph of a, of a person that that um, um, visualizes the refractive heat index of the body. In every, if, if we could take a picture of you with Schlieren optics right now, every one of you would have around you a thin layer of warm, moist air. Because that's what our body radiates from the tip of our toes to the top of our head and it goes out the top of our head. Warm, moist air. We have our personal environment, but it's a very thin protective shield. Now, those of you from the north will remember what the wind chill index was. They never just gave the temperature. Temperature is 22 degrees. They said the temperature is 22 degrees, the wind chill factor is minus 5. Now, why did they give that wind chill factor? Why would the wind make it colder? 
because the wind literally blows away that layer of moist, warm air around you so that the wind blows that away, the elements are directly on you. That is how a Christ and culture in paradox person feels when they go out into the world. It doesn't take very long before their personal protective environment is blown away. And the elements are directly on them and they are cold. It's a foreign environment to them. Now, if this were a Christ-against-culture person, they'd never go out. They'd stay at home. If this were a Christ-of-culture person, they'd probably take more of their coats off just a bit, one with the universe, and enjoy the cold, you know, getting numb and never knowing it. But the Christ-and-culture-in-paradox person lives a very drained and fatiguing life. And the problem with this person going to another Christian who happens to be drifting away in sin, or even to themselves who happens to be drifting away in sin, is not that they can't identify. They can go to that Christian and say, I know you're in pain. I live in pain. I know this hurts. I hurt. The problem is when the person looks back at them and say, if I'm in pain and you're in pain, why should I switch to your position? That's the problem. So, it's very realistic, but it's not always very hopeful. Now, third one. Fifth one. <laughs> I keep doing that, don't I? The fifth position is this. And, and, and remember, next week we're, gonna, we're going to uh, consolidate these into something I think that we can, we can uh, try to live up to with God's power. This is my favorite. I've got to admit that right up front. If, if I had to choose one of these, and I won't because every one of them has a weakness, I would choose this one. It is Christ, the transformer of culture. This has a very realistic view of sin, but, oh, you know what? For the last one, I didn't give you a little typology of who's who. The, the theologian that would be that would be uh, kind of the uh, um, the spokesperson for that kind of position would be Martin Luther. Martin Luther was very much like that. Saw Christ and culture and paradox and sin everywhere and so on and so forth. What the church, the type of church uh, that would fit into there is is a, uh, a like a small church where everybody knows each other, and you you rush from the world, the cruel world, back into the church family. And as long as you're in the church family, you're all right. But you, you can't live there, and you know you can't live there. You've got to go back into the cruel world. But about six days of that's enough, and you get back into the church. And every time you have a church get-together, it's kind of, ah, kind of a warm bath in your own personal environment. So that would be that, would be that kind of a, of a culture. Now, let's talk about Christ transforming. Um, in Scripture, their Scripture would be uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word. Now, I want you to notice in the Gospel of John that the Gospel of John starts exactly like Genesis does. In the beginning. So that there's, a, there's kind of a recreation of creation. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him. And apart from Him... 
Nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. Current tense. And the darkness did not comprehend it. And King James, it says, has not overcome it. Now, this is a very important difference between these people and the Christ in, parad- Christ in culture and paradox. The Christ in culture and paradox says, man, sin is sin. Nothing ever comes right. You look out. The best we can hope for is to kind of uh, stave off as much sin as we can. The, tra- the Christ, the transformer of culture, looks at the thing and says, wait a minute. We're not talking about God losing creation. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. There is sin out there. But God never lost control. It's still his world. Augustine says, there's a vast difference between evil being the destroyer of good and evil being the perversion of good. And I say, Augustine would say, and John Calvin after him, That evil did not destroy good. That evil perverted good. And if evil perverted good, then there is still the potential to reclaim it for God. And that our job isn't to be afraid that the, that the levee's gonna burst. Our job's to go suck up that water and put it to good use. Our job is to make Good out of this world. The structures of this world are not just to stave off the destruction that can happen. The structures of this world, the, the, the family and the church have potential for great good. They can be vessels for the power of God. And no matter how bad things get, God can make them into good. And Mort Saul used to say this, he was talking about uh, how creation uh, kind of complemented one another. And, and he was talking about flowers one day and how they lived on, uh, off uh, carbon dioxide, which we breathe out. And he said, no matter how wicked and mean and evil a person you are, every time you breathe, you make a flower happy. I like that. There it is right there. You see, the destruction is apparent, but so also is the potential. So also is the confidence that God can still reclaim His world because it was not destroyed by the devil. You know, another scripture reading that would fit into this is John 12, 31, 32. I'm going to quit just a minute. Listen to this. It says... Now the judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world shall be cast out. And if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. There's potential. There's hope. There's power. So the great thing about this position is that it doesn't work on the defensive. It is not living out of a venue that is afraid. It sees great hope. It has great confidence in the sovereignty of God. The downside, the weakness of this position is this. That some of us, 
who have operated mainly from this are very idealistic. And we can't understand when people just don't spring to the truth that's eternal. We can't understand when things we try to fix stay broke. Because they ought not to. Don't they understand? We can't understand why when we go to people who are down and say, you've got tremendous potential. They tell us, stick in your ear. I like the way I'm living. It doesn't compute. So we have a sometimes a naive and idealistic standpoint that crushes us. But the good thing, <laughs> there's even a good thing. Because people like this see good out of getting crushed. Well, I got crushed. That means something good's coming here. You know? Raw averages, you know? They, they, at least they listen to me. I did my stuff, you know? There's always potential even for continuing devastation. Now, let me pray for us. And after I pray for us, I'm going to ask Eleanor to come out and sing a song that will help, help us temper our conclusions until next week. Because our temptation as human beings is to start drawing lines. We draw a line. I'm in this category right here. That's me. And you're in that category. <laughs> We're different. See? And the, and the separation starts. And then we start saying, I'm in this category, and you're not even a Christian. Wow! I, I really feel distant from you. And so we start drawing a line. There's a, there's a country song out. <laughs> I like this. Um, she was waiting at the front door. When I got home last night, the good book in her left hand and a rolling pin in her right. <laughs> well, what, what I want to help us do is kind of put down the rolling pin this week. Just keep the good book, you know, and that's enough. That's enough. And uh, come back next week. We'll try to put this all together. Pray with me. God, thank you so much. Thank you for leaving us to absolutely depend upon you while we're in this world. Some of us would much rather be with you. I mean, we're ready to go right now. But we know if we're not with you in heaven right now, there's a purpose for us still on this earth. And we know that has something to do with the people you have in our lives. So teach us. Begin to mold our spirit this week so that as we approach people, we can approach them with the mind of Christ and with the heart of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.